The Courageous Coaching Podcast is hosted by Sophia Antoine, a certified life coach supporting women in their efforts to improve their self-esteem. Today, we're talking about life, relationships, and everything in between. Take it away, Sophia. Welcome to another episode of the Courageous Coaching Podcast. My name is Sophia Antoine, and I'm a certified life and relationship coach. With me today, I have the miraculous Alex Foley. She is a health and wellness coach, and I can't do her introduction justice, so I'm going to throw it over to her. Alex, please go ahead, take it away, and tell the listeners who you are, what you do, and why you're a courageous woman. Well, thank you so much for having me, first of all. Oh, let's see. Why am I a courageous woman? You know, I never really think about myself as courageous. However, I have gone through some life-changing experiences in the first part of my life, I'll say, that I guess can be said were courageous. So um, when I was nine years old, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and I'm about to be 50, so that was 1977. And at the time, the... um, the protocols for treating type 1 diabetes, which is the type where your pancreas completely stops working, mm-hmm. very different than type 2. Um, it's an autoimmune disease. These, these protocols were very rigid and really difficult to follow. So basically, you know, you took insulin a couple times a day. Um, you measured your sugars by peeing in a cup. And, you know, you kind of guessed it, right? And you right. ate certain foods at certain times. Very unrealistic for anybody's lifestyle, especially mine. <laughs> so... <laughs> I experienced some, I would say, difficulties. I was what was known as a brittle diabetic, meaning that my blood sugars would go up and down. It was very hard to keep them regulated. Mm-hmm. And this, this is what causes the most damage in a type 1 diabetic, is not when the blood sugars are all high or all low, but when they bounce up and down and up and down and up and down. Right. I won't get into the whole reasons why that causes the problem, but that is really what it is. So I went through quite a few problems that when, I went to, when I went through puberty because you know, the hormones cause a lot of problems. Anyway, long story short, when I turned, when I was 27 or so, a little before that, I started having problems with my eyes, which can often be a consequence of um, type 1 diabetes. It's the small vessels, the capillaries that get affected. So I started having problems with my eyes and um, I had a number of treatments that were supposed to work. And uh, I mean, my diabetes was sort of out of control. Um, we got it, we were getting it under control, but the eye, the eye disease, which is called diabetic retinopathy, Um, was a little bit too far out of control. So after about six different surgeries to try to, you know, save my eyes, my doctors, who are really the best in the world, did something called um, scorch the earth. (laughs) You can imagine. (laughs) They basically lasered so much of my um, my retinas in order to release a chemical to make these vessels stop growing, again, long story, that Mm -hmm. I ended up not having any sight. So... Yeah, so it was really awful at first. I mean, I can see light and dark, and I can see lovely wild colors rolling through my eyes. So I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't see only darkness, which I think helps a lot. Um, so that happened when I was about 27 years old. And it was pretty awful, you know, because I thought my life was over. I'm like, okay, I'm blind. Everything I do, I drive a car, I can fly a plane. All this is over. My whole life is over. And, you know, I was like, it's over. So. I, um, fortunately I was engaged and everyone said to me, Oh, you're so lucky you met him before you went blind. Like, what does that mean? Because I'm right. Like, gonna... Boy, I showed them wrong, but I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I lost my sight and it was like the last surgery I had, I believe was February of 1995 and I was already engaged. And so my father said, um, you're getting married in six months, time to plan the wedding. So I put the fact that I was blind in a box. And I was like, I'll deal with this later. <laughs> so I stuck the box under the bed, basically, right. and planned my wedding. Um, so I had my wedding. It was a huge wedding, and it was a lot of fun and blah, blah, blah. And everyone was trying to, you know, make it even better because they thought it was such a tragedy that I went blind and all this stuff. So had the wedding, had the honeymoon, and then I was just stuck. And then I was living in, in my home in rural Massachusetts at the time, which is probably the hands down the worst place that anybody who's blind could live. So, well, yeah, well, I'm originally from New York City and I have a home there, which was great, you know, because I got to get out of the city, but not so great when you first go blind. So mm-hmm. I decided to spend probably one of the worst winters ever on record and in my life up there, which was the winter of 1996. Um, 
And, you know, I just went through my dark night of the soul, you know? So I took about nine months to say to myself, I don't even want to hang out with myself. How could anybody else want to be with me? So I took myself in hand and I'm like, all right, I cannot stay here and learn how to be a blind person because that was it, right? I had to mourn my past way of life, even though I didn't change that much. And I had to learn how to function as a blind person, always with the hopes that I would be able to see again at some point. So I told my husband at the time that, uh, you know, I couldn't live in Massachusetts anymore, that I had to go back to New York and learn how to be a blind person. And he was like, fine, you can go alone. And I said, bye-bye. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know, he didn't want to go back to New York. Exactly. I was like, I don't get it. I was like, that's fine. You can stay here, but I'll be leaving. And, you know, so he stayed in my house and I went back to New York and lived at my father's apartment, which was great because it was right next to... Um, a school, a place called the Lighthouse, which is no longer, um, but it was a lighthouse, which was on 59th between Madison and Park. And I basically learned how to use a cane, um, which sucked. And then I also learned how to, uh, you know, use, you know, use the adaptive technology in a computer. But most importantly, I had group therapy more than anything else, because when I went into group therapy, I got to talk to other people who had gone blind, people who perhaps were going to go blind because they had glaucoma or you know, diabetes like I did. However, there were people in there who really never planned on going blind. Like one poor woman had a hysterectomy and came out blind. So, you know, oh yeah, it happens sometimes with anesthesia. Oh. So I said to myself, girl, you don't have it so bad. You know, this was always a possibility for you. And so we taught each other a lot of things and we listened to each other. And for me, that was probably what really brought me out of the darkness, so to speak. Um, and so I said, all right, time to learn how to see. Um, I also decided that I really wanted to get a seeing eye dog because I have one leg that's shorter than the other due to a skiing accident. And I was always pulling to the left and I had a horrible habit of wanting to know exactly what my cane was hitting. And, you know, I'd bend down and touch things and my instructor would be like, don't touch that. You don't know what it is. (laughs) He's like, you don't know if a dog has peed on that. And I was like, okay, okay, I get it. And one day he said to me, he goes, when are you getting that dog already? (laughs) So so life is perfect, right? So at the same time, another possible consequence um, of type 1 diabetes is, you know, kidney failure. Right. So my kidneys were failing and I had a fabulous endocrinologist who said to me, okay, you're going to have to have a kidney transplant eventually. Oh, and my eye doctor also told me that after one of the surgeries that I'd be dead in five years from kidney failure. Oh. So... But fortunately, they were doing, you know, transplants. So um, I got on a list at the, t- you know, at the time, one of the top places for having a kidney and pancreas transplant was at the University of Minnesota. So I got on the list there. And I was very fortunate to get my transplant prior to having to go on dialysis. Wow. Um, so that was great, right? Mm-hmm. So I got my transplant. And I think while I was recovering, I got a letter from the dog guide school, which was called the seeing eye in New Jersey, that I was accepted for a dog in three months, which was perfect because I needed the three months to heal. Mm-hmm. So I was like, thank you universe for making my life so perfect here. You know, right. even though I had to go through hell to get here. Um, <laughs> and so I went and got my dog in let's see, March of 1997. And really that dog gave me my life back. Um, it made me be able to walk with confidence independently and go all over the place. And so I was like, all right, this is the second part of my life. And now we're going to move forward. Um, and I got a job working at the school and I thought it was just the best thing since sliced bread. I also was working for my stepfather trading rare and fine wines. Cause I've basically been in the wine business. Well, I had, well, since I was about 23 years old. So I continue to do that. Great business to be in because honestly you don't need your, you don't need your eyes, right? I mean, right. you really just need your taste buds and you have to trust your taste buds. So anyway, so I was doing both of those things. I was traveling all over the United States with my dog, um, working for the school. And I was also working for my stepfather, um, selling, buying and selling wines. Um, anyway, so then I went in and I just started just to do the wines and I got, you know, I got to be pretty well known in the industry because I was one of the few females at the time, this is in the late nineties in the wine industry, um, especially in New York. Um, and I did a lot of different things, you know, after 9-11, the business was a little bit different and I started to, um, and I lost a lot of friends in that, but 
Um, I started to have my own wine business. I had my own importation business where I brought in wines, artisan wines, handcrafted boutique wines from different parts of Europe. Um, and and I, uh, I basically introduced those brands into the United States. And then I decided that I wanted to, after the crash, basically in 2008, when higher end wines were not selling anywhere, I partnered up with someone who was you know, importing beer and wanted to have a wine brand also. And we created my own private label called Alex Elman Wines. Yep. So I was doing wines or, and I was only doing organic wines because I figured, I thought that first of all, they affected people less. They were kinder to the earth and they just tasted better. And honestly, I didn't want to hang over. And all I could think about is fermenting chemicals and drinking them. I was like, ew. Right. <laughs> so I, so I, I did that. I imported wines, organic wines from, Argentina and from Italy and I had also organic olive oil from Spain and I started selling those um, pretty much well in different parts of the country but my main my main territory was Florida which is a pretty big wine believe it or not one of the bigger wine selling regions in the United States so I did that for um, quite a, quite a long time I did that until 2016 when I really began to realize that I did not like the direction the industry was going um, and I'd always been involved in health and wellness anyway, because I was healed, so to speak, in a lot of ways, using herbology, using um, acupuncture, and um, um, anyway, the alternative methods, um, as well as, you know, taking my anti-rejection medications. Because um, I'm one of the, basically, as of today, I'm probably one of the healthiest without any rejection or other episodes or consequential episodes of a double transplant. I'm been good for 21 years nice that's amazing yeah so I I didn't even I wasn't even able to sell my business believe it or not because of so many reasons so many problems in the wine industry mm-hmm. so I basically shut it down I just shut down the whole thing and I said all right now what am I going to do with myself you know I was like okay I've got to start my my next career what's it going to be mm-hmm. you know am I going to do psychology am I going to do you know law I thought about that for like seven seconds and then I said, nah. And then I kept seeing these emails and things for the school called the um, Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And, you know, I really liked the way that they laid it out. And it wasn't just like straightforward nutrition. It had to do with bioindividuality. And there was a lot of talk therapy, which I was already good at. And I was like, all right, let's do this. So I spent a year studying, got my certificate in, uh, in integrative nutrition, basically I'm a health and wellness coach. And that's what I do now. So I reinvented myself. Again, I figure for the second part of my life. And, you know, I have this kind of crazy story or not crazy, but, you know, I guess, I don't know what you want to call it, inspirational story or whatever. So whatever you want to call it, that's what we'll call it. Yeah. So um, I have been writing a book for, gosh, I've been working with a ghostwriter for almost two years. So that's just about ready to go to an agent. And I've, you know, relaunched my life, I guess as this, you know, integrated nutrition, health and wellness coach. I like to call myself a um, wellness transformation strategist, but it's kind of a mouthful. So just stay with a health and wellness coach, right? <laughs> that works. Now, there's, you've given me so much to go on here. So I'm going to kind of take it in the okay. order that I made my notes, which is okay. not really good, but hey, we'll jump around. We have nothing to do but talk. That's right. That's right. You can fly a plane or you could fly a can, do you fly yep. now? Well, you can't. Pa- I can't pass my uh, medical anymore. So, oh, okay. In, yeah, in theory, I have. A, I'm always a pilot. Once a pilot, always a pilot. But right. every year or so, you have to pass a medical, and I can no longer do that because I can't see. Right. Okay. So, okay. And I was never instrument rated, so you know, I'd only been flying for like about a year when I started having the eye problems. So, what made you want to try flying, or? You know, it was, I always was interested and I remember getting on a plane one time and saying to myself, you know, I have no, I don't, I don't believe anything bad would ever happen to me on a plane, but I was saying to myself one day, well, I have no control. I have no idea how this thing works. And so Mm -hmm. if anything ever happened, I was like, well, maybe I should have an idea of how this works. Plus I loved being up in the air. You know, I loved flying. I thought it was so cool. Everything I could see from there, the different perspectives. So that's kind of why I started. And I had a friend who was a, an instructor. So he was like, oh, I'll teach you. Oh, well, so, that's cool. Yeah. So that's good. I mean, I like that. I think that stuck out most to me simply because you saw it and you just went for it. And there, mm-hmm. I don't think from the way you're telling it, 
there, there doesn't sound like there was any inhibitions about it. You're just like, oh, this is something I want to do. So let me go do it. Yeah. And that's how I kind of live my life. You know, I always have believed that when I, if I want something really, I go for it because it's not going to come to my door. You know, things just don't walk up to your door. Although, you know, you have circumstances where you get presented with certain things. But if you're not out there doing it, it doesn't happen. Right. I love that. And let's see. You said you're about to be 50. Yeah. You don't sound, you sound every bit of 23. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> okay. Well, that works. I, I'm just, like I said, I was taking notes here furiously. And that stuck out. It was like, oh, she has the voice of a young woman. So awesome. Yeah. And I'm sure that your healthy lifestyle adds to that. It does. And I think that we, I think in life we have a choice to be happy or miserable. You know what I'm saying? It's a choice. And I think that, you know, if you're happier and you're well and you have a community and, you know, even if it's a community of two, um, you know, you are always going to be happier because you have people to talk to. I I read somewhere that the brain, the mind is a dangerous neighborhood and you should never go there alone. Mm. I I completely agree. So So. then the next courageous thing that that stands out to me or is the fact that your husband didn't want to go. So you were like, okay, see you later, bud. Mm -hmm. I mean, how was that just, it was like, okay, um, I'm out of here. Who cares? Or what, what was involved in that? Was there any emotions? What happened? Well, I was pissed that he (laughs) would try to hold me back from like, you know, living a life, you know, to me, right. I, I felt like I was in a prison and if he couldn't see that, you know, okay. too bad. He was only the first husband. I'm on number three. Well, no, and that's okay. I mean, I yeah. do it till you get right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm like, now I get it because I didn't quite understand when you said it, but yeah. now it makes sense. If you felt like you were trapped, why wouldn't he want to give you a sense of um, autonomy, so to speak? where mm-hmm. you can go and still do for yourself as you are used to doing. Exactly. And I think that, you know, I met him when I could see, and then, you know, he knew what was happening. So I gave him a lot of credit for sticking with me. I really did. And he was a really, he was a really good man. This was a lot to, you know, to deal with. Right. So I, I have to give him a lot of credit for that. And it was, it was, you know, he was afraid. He was afraid that something would happen to me. He was afraid, I guess, to let me go out there in the big vibe, you know, big world. And I, I can understand that. But at the same time, I had to be selfish at that point and be like, well, if you don't want, if you can't see that I need to do this, mm-hmm. then, you know, you're going to stay here and I'm going to go, <laughs> you know. But I think it's just, it would have been just as bad had you stayed home all the time because you would have wasted away in the house. Absolutely. And it would, I, I would much prefer you to go out and God forbid something happened. But at least you're out and about and you feel that freedom. So exactly. You're, it's sort of like you, and I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, it's like you're already trapped because you've lost your sight, but now you're trapped physically as well. Exactly. Totally. And I felt, I felt completely trapped because of the loss of sight. And then to have somebody tell me, you know, if you want to go, go alone, what do you think I was going to do? I mean, you should have known me better than that. Right. I was going to be like, oh, okay, I'm so sorry. Now I'm like, bye-bye. Like, duh, I'm out of here. Oh, <laughs> right. got you. Now, the kidney thing, it, it hits home for me because my husband was um, transplanted in 2015. All right. A fellow yeah. brother in this, yeah. Yeah, oh, man. And that was a journey. And honestly, he w- actually would not marry me because of it. Oh, yeah. I can so, imagine because you think you're dying, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that was a tumultuous time in our lives. And I can just the whole thing because he actually did dialysis for five years. Wow. The fact that you got yours before you even had to go on dialysis. That's amazing. You know, and I, it wouldn't have happened if I did not have such a forward thinking doctor. You know, this was a person who, you know, was ahead of, you know, every department he went to, but always had problems. (laughs) Of course, like, you know, the powers that be, but this was someone who was like, why should you suffer? You know, if you don't, if you, and I was type A, so it was pretty, you know, I wasn't that it was easy, but, you know, mm-hmm. type A blood, but he's like, why should you suffer? Let's get you on this list. You could go on the list whenever you wanted to, but unfortunately, most doctors don't think that way, you know? Ours didn't. 
Yeah. And, and he, he was a, he wasn't such a forward thinking doctor, let's just yeah. say. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is, this is a big problem. Another reason why I became a health and wellness coach, such a huge problem in our, you know, our medical system. Now we're treating sickness instead mm -hmm. of treating a healthy person so they don't get sick, you know? Absolutely. So I, I was very fortunate in, you know, that I had these types of doctors that were like, I don't want you to suffer anymore. If we can avoid this, let's do that. But I'm glad your husband finally got, you know, the transplant and that you got married. Yes, absolutely. And we actually got married prior to the transplant. We got okay. married in 2011 and he was transplanted December of 2015. Wow. But even that recovery, that recovery time was, it was crazy. Oh, but, I'm sure. Yeah. And you're right. And when you mentioned about um, the lady in your group coming out blind after the anesthesia, my husband, he, the anesthesia had some really crazy effects on him and he was doing insane things. I'm like, what mm -hmm. the heck is going on? Nobody warned us that yeah. anesthesia had such an effect on the body. It has, and it has a, you know, it can have a long, long-term effect. I mean, you know, the more general anesthesia you have in your lifetime, the more it affects your brain. In fact, after, I forgot what age, but after age 50, they recommend that you have as little general anesthesia as possible because it can exacerbate or increase your risk of dementia and Alzheimer's. Oh, wow. So, you know, I go in for a surgery and they're like, well, we're going to give you general because it's just easy. And I already don't do well with general. So mm -hmm. I was like, uh, no, you're not. You're going to give me a, a, you know, a nerve blocker. And they fight me the whole time. I said, okay. I said, I'm not going to do it then. They go, well, you have to have the surgery. I said, well, then you can either, you can give me the nerve blocker and twilight. You can give me an epidural, but you're not giving me general anesthesia. And I really believe that in this day and age, we have to be our own advocates. We know our bodies better than anybody else. Absolutely. And you know how you react to things. So then that leads me to this question. What do you tell women, the women who are listening, how can they be that advocate? Because it seems you want to listen to your doctor, but then how do you stand up to someone who seems to have so much power? And they use all these big intimidating words. So just like with, with everything, I mean, I think you have to be, you have to trust that you know your body. You have to begin to really listen and understand what your body is trying to tell you. And what I mean is that, so let's say you eat, let's say you have a sensitivity to, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there, gluten or something. Mm -hmm. And every time you eat gluten or you eat bread or pasta, you feel kind of gross. You just feel oogie and you're just like, oh, I'm so tired. And then right. you try life without it. And, you know, you're like, oh, I feel better. So, you know, if your body is telling you that it does not like this product in its body, it, in itself. And then you go to the doctor and you tell him this. And he's like, no, 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 that's ridiculous. You don't have anything. Okay, well, fine. Thank you. You can say that all you want, but except I know. So that's not a big deal, right? But if a doctor says to you, first of all, do your research, right? So if you're, and I don't believe in reading and believing everything you read on the internet, but, you know, there's a lot of good sources out there. Do your research. If you're feeling you know, exhausted all the time and you have, you know, and you're, you know, your sensitivity to cold or heat or whatever it is, like go do your research. Maybe you are having a thyroid problem, you know, then go into the doctor, tell them your symptoms, tell them how you, you know, you feel and let them give you a diagnosis. When they give you the diagnosis, say, okay, thank you very much. Let me, let me think about this and then go again and do your research, you know, and if you start to take the medications and those medications work for you, you know, also know all the side effects of a medication. I mean, I'm not a huge proponent of medications. I do take anti-rejection medications. You know, I have right. to, but right. I take nothing else. I take nothing else that a doctor tries to give me because I'm like, yeah, no, I think there's another way to do that, you know? Wow. Um, but it's, it's dangerous for me to say that to everybody because, first of all, the doctor is supposed to know everything, right? And we trust them. But you have to know your body and you have to know what works for you. And I know that that's, it's very nebulous to say that, but it, it's all I can say. Um, I just went to see an endocrinologist recently because um, I, have, I have what's called a goiter. You know, my thyroid sticks out. Yeah. And years ago, years ago, they wanted to yank the whole thing out. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that because there's so many problems involved with that. You know, what about the other issues that are going to be caused by taking that out? Mm -hmm. And, you know, my endocrinologist was like, was like, all right, well, we'll try Symthroid and we'll see how that works for you. And I said, okay, we'll try that medication to see how it works. Well, within 10 days, my breasts grew like four sizes. And I'm like, well, what the hell is this? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And I told my doctor what was going, not four sizes, but from like a C to a, you know, a double D. And I'm like, right. yeah, um, girls, <laughs> got to calm down. And my doctor said to me, he goes, oh, yeah, that's a really rare side effect. They'll go back to normal. The prolactin glands grow. They'll go back to normal, you know, in a couple months. Enjoy them. And he slapped me on the back. And I'm like, you enjoy the boulders hanging off your, you know. They never went back to normal. Um, and I said, well, I guess I'm getting off this medication. And my thyroid function is completely fine. I don't have anything. Now, you have to remember, the one thing I try to tell people is that doctors practice medicine. They don't know all. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to be well-informed about what your symptoms are, what the possibilities are, Mm -hmm. and even what the alternative methods of treatment could be. You know, I believe in functional medicine, which really it means treating the disease, not, you know, treating the symptoms. And I also believe that, you know, a lot of times if you go to a very good chiropractor, sometimes all you have is a nerve impingement mm-hmm. and it can be fixed. Sometimes, you know, right. acupuncture, I mean, whatever works for you. Um, and yes, I see regular doctors. I have to, you know, I get blood tests. I let them, I let them tell me what's going on. I, you know, and I read the blood test results, but I'm not going to let them start putting me in all kinds of myriad medications because, you know, my toe hurts, mm-hmm. you know. Trust me, I get it. So when someone comes to to you to be their, their health and wellness coach, are yeah. these some of the things that you teach them how to be in tune with their bodies? Like what, if someone comes to see you or wants to have um, a consultation, what do you start, how do you start them out, out with you? So the first thing I do is I take what's called a health history. And that's very simple. It's just basically, you know, I get their blood type, I find out, you know, what they ate as a child, what they eat now, what their social life is like, you know, do they have kids, do they have this, do they have that, are they married, not, et cetera, um, you know, what their parents' health was like. So we get that, and I basically go over that with them. And when I work with people, I don't work with um, only nutrition, food, right? I work with first what we call primary foods, and primary foods are basically these four things. They are your, um, your relationships, Mm. your career, um, your spirituality, and what type of, and your exercise, because exercise is one of the most important things, even if you're just walking. Right. Those are the foods that nourish you without putting, you know, anything into your body. And if something is, if anything is really off in those areas, you know, we have to talk about that and kind of get those worked out, right? Right. At the same time, I go over people's diet. What do they eat, you know, and how are they feeling with the certain things that they eat? And if I'm concerned that they have a sensitivity, a, something that is in, um, impinging their ability to be well, meaning causing them inflammation, which is always like, you know, an effect of your body fighting an allergy. So if they have a sensitivity or something, mm-hmm. I'll put them on an elimination diet. And I hate saying that. I can call it a crowding out diet. But basically what I'll do for about 10 days to two weeks is that we'll cut out all inflammatory foods. What do I mean by that? I mean... Anything with wheat or gluten, um, anything, I'm sorry, dairy. Oftentimes I'll cut out eggs. Um, let's see, what else? Um, dairy, gluten, those are the three main ones. Um, and then you'll basically, it's almost like eating a ketogenic diet for two weeks. See how you feel, you know, see how things go. And there's with, oh, and sugar, excuse me, all sugar, because sugar is one of the worst things. Yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, people can eat blueberries on the diet and they can eat kiwi because those are very low glycemic fruits. And, you know, there's some withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> They're pretty hideous. And I, I would never do this to anybody if I haven't done it myself. And I actually do it once a year. Um, and then slowly we begin to add these inflammatory foods back in. Now, for example, somebody might, you know, might add the cheese back in or dairy products back in and then they have they get violent headaches, or they have some other sort of inflammatory response. So we say, ah, this is a food that causes that my body is sensitive to. Let me not eat it too much, or if it's a really bad response, let me not eat it at all. Let me cut it out of my diet. Exactly. And then four days later, you add another food back in, you know, and each time you find something that is, that has an effect, you know, we talk about that. We're like, what can you eat besides this? Can you add more, you know, vegetables can you add different types of protein how about seeds and nuts how about maybe if you can't have wheat how about if we have a bread that's made from sprouted grains you know we have so many alternatives out there that nobody should really ever feel deprived um 
So that's how I try to get people as healthy as possible. The first thing to do is to get the inflammatory response in the body completely under control. Because if you're getting inflamed all the time, you're never going to get healed. You're never going to get well. You know? I got you. That's, that's good. My question, my next question is supplements. Mm-hmm. Um, are they, I know you can't really say are they good or bad. Or I get, Is it up to the person whether they take them? Is that something that you take yourself? Yes, I take supplements. And the unfortunate reason is that because our food has become so depleted of nutrients that we really aren't getting the nutrition and the nutrients that we need from our foods. Okay. So one of the main things, and again, you know, you have to work with the person. Each person is different. So it's very bio-individual. So, I mean, the, the couple things that I immediately add into people's diets, you know, across the board is magnesium. Um, and if they're not taking a, some type of probiotic, a probiotic. Okay. And, of, and of course, I believe in vitamin D. Um, so definitely a vitamin D because not only is vitamin D good for your bones and your skin and all that, but it's really healthy and needed for your serotonin levels and, you know, your levels in your brain. Um, so those are the first things I usually add. If people, some people have sensitivities to those, so we obviously don't add those, right? Um, and you have to get them from a very reputable, you know, company, company that isn't having stuff coming from God knows where with God knows what in it. Um, that was my next question. Good. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I have, you know, there's always products like Shackley, which are very reputable. And then there's other companies that the smaller and the, you know, the, I mean, I'm not going to mention too many of them on, but, you know, you go to somebody that you trust um, or you do your research on it. Again, we have to be our own advocates. So you have to do your research on stuff. You know, like I believe in mega foods and a few others, but sometimes they get bought up by bigger companies and then you got to know what's happening, has the formula changed and that kind of stuff. So, so then... How do we know? You say do do our research. How do we get started? Do we just go to Google and sit and type in a keyword and take the first few results, or um, pretty much? I mean, and then from those results, you'll see you'll read papers and you know studies, and then you'll go to the next ones. And you know, there's going to be conflicting evidence in some things, but you know, or go to a like a doctor that. Um, a site that you trust, for example, Dr. Mark Hyman, you know, at the ultra wellness clinic, I trust him all pretty much, you know, cause he's a very well-known person for this and he does a lot of research. Then you have Dr. Andrew wheel, you know, you have Dr. Oz, who's also believe it or not really very good and reputable about this kind of stuff. Um, and the more that you read and there's lots of other doctors out there who are either functional medicine doctors or, you know, they really do your re- their research and it all depends on what area you're looking for. So, if you're looking for supplements for the brain or brain health, then you're going to look for the brain specialists. You know what I'm saying? That the right. neurospecialists. So it's, you got to kind of look at a few different people and read, you know, and if the results are pretty much the same, then you're going to you know, do what they say. And if they're different, then you're going to do a little more research, okay. you know? And again, it's trial and error because we are all individuals. One thing is not going to work necessarily for everybody. Right. So. And then it kind of depends on where you live too. your environmental concerns. Yes, absolutely. Okay. You know, and, okay. I mean, and this is the reason why, I mean, I'm not saying that everybody needs a health and wellness coach, but you, you need a guide of some kind, even if you're guiding, you know, using a guide on the internet or something, but because there's so much information out there, how do we read through all of it? You know, That's- I mean, just the stuff that comes into my inbox every day. I'm like, God, really? Something else? Throw it out, <laughs> you know? No, but if, if you're not going to say it, I'll say it. I, I believe everyone needs at least at some point a health and wellness coach to get them started. Correct. Because yeah. at least they have their, their fingers on the pulse of yeah. the industry and they can get you started and get you headed in the right direction. Even if you can't sustain it for a long period of time. Right. I encourage them to have a health and wellness coach because if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. You can't enjoy exactly. else. Exactly. And you know, it's like going to the, it's like going to a trainer. You go to a trainer for a certain amount of time, you know, at the gym, or even if you're on a team, you know, you have a coach, you have a trainer, they're going to give you the tools that you need to be able to sustain this way of being, you know, and then you take those, I don't want to work with anybody forever. I fully believe in like, you know, working for them with them for a certain amount of time and saying, okay, you've got X amount of tools in your toolbox. Now go out in the world and live your life. And if you need to come back, come back. 
mm-hmm. you know? And if not, you know, Godspeed, God bless and goodbye. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. And that's what I say to it's like it's my job as a life and relationship coach, regardless as to which area you need help in, either or both, it's my job to work myself out of a job. Correct. Exactly. And, God yeah. Amen. Yeah. Totally. You yeah. know, I don't believe in lifelong therapy with one therapist. Like, you know, right. it's not my it's not my job to send your kids to college. It's your job to give me, you know, to get me on the path to wellness, give mm-hmm. me the tools for my toolbox and to push me out the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and not yeah. to create a crush yep got you I love yeah. that oh next and this is so um, off topic of what we've been talking about do you still <laughs> have the dog oh yeah I'm on my third seeing eye dog um, okay so they only work for a finite you know work for a certain amount of time um, oh I didn't them, know that yeah you get them when they're about two and depending on your lifestyle so if you go to the same job every day and you basically have the same routine every day a dog can work for a longer amount of time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you don't want them to work much past, I, okay, so there's no, you know, absolutes in this, but, you know, much past 12, because 12, if you think about it, a dog, you know, you multiply their lot each year times seven. So at yeah. that point, they're already like, you know, 90, what, four? Oh, come on. That's <laughs> not fair, yeah. right? <laughs> That's, he needs to go to the doggy retirement. Center. Yeah, exactly. So my dogs have worked until they're 10 and nine, my dog that only worked until he was nine. I mean, I was traveling all over the world every single day. My schedule was different. I was at a trade show. I was at a demo. I was, you know, so, you know, and it just wasn't, it wasn't fair. He started getting very tired and that's just not, you know, you got to let him have a life afterwards. They've given them your, the best years of their life and then you got to mm-hmm. take care of them. Well, that's good. So then, because I know it's, they're trained to not react and, and, you know, just focus on what their job is. Do they get, I don't even know the proper word for this, when there's so much going on, like their senses, is it ever too much for them? Is that what you're referencing when you said he has to have a life or? Well, you know, dogs can get overwhelmed like people can. Um, They are, you know, running, you know, going through New York City, going through an airport, getting on a, you know, they're fine with that. But when there's a lot of, so I had my one dog, I, I was doing a program for, um, I was helping these guys who went up to Everest and they were working with NASA and they were sending back information to these kids at the BOCES program, which is a program for kids, this particular program was for kids who were very, very, very um, impaired, you okay. know, like, I mean, physically impaired, you know, they were just, you know, somewhere in bed and they had to use these things on their head to push computer, but it was, it was, it was like that. Wow. They were intense. They were amazing kids. They were doing, they were, so, I mean, you know, the lights were in their eyes. They were beautiful kids. But, you know, my dog was there and my dog was very sensitive and they all wanted to pet him. And mm. after about 10 kids, he was, he couldn't handle it anymore. It he was, was overwhelmed. Tough. It was just too much. Tough. And you have to, you know, you learn to read your dog just like everything else. You know, my dog starts like stuck, sticking his head underneath my dress. I'm like, okay, he's done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Got you. Okay. Well, good. And you said you're on your third one now. Yes, I am on my third. How many years in is he? He is seven. I got him when he was 20 months. So okay. he has, he's got to, my life as of late has been a little easier. So mm-hmm. he's probably got another, he's got at least two, if not another three years to work. And then he'll just live as a dog. And how emotionally attached do you get? It's very. Okay. It's very, yeah. I mean, this is, this is the creature, the being that is with me all the time. You know, we are partners more than any, you know, romantic relationship can ever right. be. I mean, you depend on each other, you help each other, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, each, I love dogs anyway, but each of these seeing eye dogs take a piece of me, you know, every single oh. time they, they move on. Let's just say, so I'm very fortunate in that I'm able to keep them until they pass away. Oh. Um, not everybody can. But, uh, you know, I don't know if that's better or worse. Oh, well, <laughs> you know? yeah. But it, so. it's good that you get to see them just be dogs. So I, yeah. I like that part. I do yeah, like- and I give my dogs a lot of freedom because they, they've, always, they've always worked no matter what. So, you know, if they're not working, I let them just be dogs and run around and play with other dogs and that kind of stuff. Because when they go back to work, when they're wearing the harness, they are working. Mm-hmm. So... That's amazing. So do you see, uh, again, we're hopping on something else. It's okay. Um, your clients or your, what do you call them? Clients. Okay, clients. Yeah. Do you do virtual and in person or 
what do you mainly, how do you mainly see your people? For the most part, I do virtual because I have clients in different parts of the, you know, country. But if they want to do in person, it's fine. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm open to it. But it's, you know, it's usually easier for people because then if you think about it, for them to come to my home, I'm not going to go to their home (laughs) unless they want me to do like a pantry reboot, which will go through their pantry. But otherwise they come to, you know, they come to my home office and, you know, that's another half hour to them to get here and an hour, you know, half hour to go back wherever they're going for. So it's easier just to get on the phone. Um, and if they want to do it video, it's fine with me. They can see me. I can't see them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Um, but that's totally fine with me. I don't, you know, it's all this to me. It's all good. I can feel people's energy through, you know, conversation. I don't have to be in front of them. Awesome. And you mentioned pantry reboot. Is that something you really do? Yep, I do. I will go into someone's house and obviously, you know, I can pull, every, we'll pull everything out of the pantry and then I'll have them read me the ingredients you know, and if the first five, more than five ingredients have some sort of dose, like a sucrose, a fructose, a glucose, we're right. going to get rid of that product. If there are more than 10 ingredients <laughs> and we start to hear things that we don't understand, we're probably going to get rid of that product too. Um, because you want to eat as little processed food as possible. You Absolutely. Know? Okay. So. And I've always heard the rule of thumb is if you can't pronounce it, don't eat it. Exactly. That's the most important rule of thumb. But I also want people to understand how much sugar is in things. You know what I mean? Yes. So Because that is... It's in everything. And it's that's another reason to cook your own food. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really one of the... And it's one of the most difficult things to kick. It really is. More addictive than cigarettes. And it is probably one of the most harmful things for us. And I'm not saying don't eat any sugar whatsoever, but try to kick it for 10 days, you know? And then you'll see how sweet things are, yeah. you know, you, and you need less and less. And then, you know, we all fall back into bad habits, you know, and you, you can try it again, give it up. You know, there's nothing wrong with eating a square of dark chocolate in the evening if you want something sweet or to eat some blueberries or something like that. But, you know, yeah, just but if, you know, if, you, if you're eating ketchup every day, you're having a ton of sugar, Right. you know. Well, it's, yeah, it's when I did my whole sugar <clears throat> I'm I'm a habitual quitter of sugar. <laughs> uh-huh. And Me too. Yeah, it's like I'll stop and then I don't put it in anything. And then all of a sudden I feel myself just regressing back into this dependency on sugar. So then yeah. I have to catch myself and quit again. So I, I, I'm the same way. Like, you know, I can't tell people that it's easy because I know how difficult it is. You know, all of a sudden all of a sudden I won't be eating any sugar whatsoever or drinking any wine or anything. And then next thing I know, six months later, it's like every single meal. I'm like, wow, right. Reboot again, you know? (laughs) So it's good. So I guess we say that to say you're paying attention. It's good that Mm -hmm. you're paying attention. So women who are listening or anyone who's listening, be encouraged, just pay attention to what you're putting in your body and how you feel when it gets there. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's what it is. And again, it's about being self-aware and being, having some body consciousness, you know, listen to your body. Your body's going to tell you everything you need to know if you're listening. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing. The world is set up in such a way where you hardly get time to listen because you're so worn out by the end of the day. All you want to do is throw some fast food in your mouth and go to bed because you got to do it all over again. Right. You know, so. that's, that's the, but you know, in that light, in that vein too, there are more and more fast food restaurants and fast food places that are having healthy options. So if you have to go and eat some health, you know, some fast food, I was in Wendy's one day because we were on the road and my husband's like, well, we can stop here. And I'm like, ugh, fine. <laughs> and they had like the, the power salad with the quinoa and the chicken. So you have options. Like even if you have, even if you feel you have to go to those places, you have healthier options there too. Not the best. But they're healthier, you know. Healthier than getting like a double stack with cheese mm-hmm. and fries. Correct. <laughs> you know. So then, I would interpret that as saying, "Do the best you can in your situation, and just try to plan better for next time." Right. Exactly. And I mean, that's the only thing you can do. I'm never going to tell somebody, "Oh, you, you're bad. You did this." No, you, you were in a situation. You did the best you could in that situation. And maybe next time you can, you know, bring a snack with you, you know, bring a bag of nuts and that kind of stuff. Because you, you can't make people wrong for doing the best they can. You know, you just can't. Yep. 
in, in life, you know, that word happens, right? Things happen. <laughs> so you just got to do, you got to, you know, roll with it and do the best you can, as you said. Awesome. And I, I believe I, I love that because some people try to be so rigid. I know some coaches that are just so rigid and you can't do anything and you're yeah. just like in this concentration camp where you can't, you're just given, you know, crumbs and water, but you're saying, I understand and do what you can. And we'll, if we need to regroup, we'll regroup next time. Well, exactly. And it's, it's small. Listen, if you make two small steps every couple of weeks and change two small things in your life, mm -hmm. it's, it, that's easier, first of all, than completely, you know, having a complete reboot from the beginning. Just right. change two, two habits. Like instead of, you know, instead of taking the elevator, take the stairs. That's one small habit. Although it seems like a big one in the beginning. And instead of having that donut for breakfast, maybe have an omelet. Okay, two tiny habits. Right. But it's, it, it makes such a huge difference. And I don't believe, it's not sustainable to tell somebody, okay, you can never eat another carbohydrate again as long as you live. It just simply isn't sustainable. So what I'm trying to do is give people sustainable, you know, change their help them change their lives in a sustainable fashion. It takes some time. You know, it does take about, my programs usually last about six months because it wow. takes that long to change habits. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it takes a little bit of a shorter time, but people want to stay, right. you know, so six months is not a lot. You know, it's, it's two weeks. You talk to me every two weeks. We work out some, you know, changes and you see how it goes. Mm -hmm. um, think about how fast six months goes. I mean, boom. Oh so, yeah. A year goes by quickly these days. It's like every time you turn around, it's like it's, it's Christmas or new year or something. I know. I know. It's oh. insane. So like, you know, it's, it's, we are humans and we create habits. And so the idea is to create a different habit. Right. So instead of coming home and drinking that glass of wine and eating that loaf of bread, let's come home and go for a walk or let's mm. come home and, you know, make a salad, something like that. Create another habit so that the old habit will get crowded out and you don't miss it. Perfect. Well, I completely love it. So for anyone who may want to reach out to you or who they're inspired to work with you, how can you be reached and um, what is it like to, to work with you? What are the first steps? Okay, so let me give you the information. So my company's name is Holy Foley and it's a play on words. So it's spelled W-H-O-L-E-Y and then F-O-L-E-Y, holyfoley.com. Um, and you know, my email address is alex at holyfoley.com. Um, so the way that anybody can reach out to me, they can email me there or email me my personal email address. Um, usually people request to help. I give them a free health history, which means I send out a form. They fill it out. It's really simple. It takes like five minutes. Um, and if we go over that form, I talk about what, you know, what, what working with me would look like. So what is that? And again, it's different for every person. Right. Um, we would go over their goals, uh, what they're interested in doing. Are they interested in losing weight? Are they interested in just getting healthier? You know, um, and we would discuss those things. I would give them my scope of practice, what I can do as a health coach. We would sign a paper together, you know, saying that, you know, it's a contractual thing for six months. You know, everything is, everything is breakable, right? Right. So, um, <laughs> and then we would set up a payment plan. You know, it's, I usually charge $200 a month. And if people want to, pay for the whole thing in advance there's usually a 10 or 20 percent discount awesome. um otherwise they get charged monthly and then we would start working together and if they wanted to work with me in person that's fine or we could do it over the phone and we would set a schedule um again my schedule is flexible with people i'm willing to give them because i know that things happen in life i'm willing to give them you know 24 hours if they need to change things but you know if you're gonna if you're gonna change things more than three times in a row within like a two-hour period then we might have a problem you're right and that's just basic respect of, of exactly, time. exactly. So, and, you know, and I'm giving my time, you know, I'm setting up and I'm, I'm planning for the, yeah. for the session and we're going over stuff and I'll give them documents and articles and all kinds of stuff. And it all depends on what they want, what their goals are and where they are in their life, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I, I feel the same because if I feel like if you break an appointment or, you know, it's consecutive, that means you're not as dedicated to the process anyway. So we will, you know, yeah. check back another time. So that's a we'll great, revisit. Right? Yeah. Great way to gauge commitment. You know, and I believe that people honestly, and this is going to sound a little harsh, but if you're not ready to make these changes, you know, come back when you're ready. You exactly. know, I've had, 
I've had people say to me, oh, I really need to work with you. What's, what does it entail? And I give them the whole thing and they make an appointment and they cancel and they do it again. And I go, you're just not ready. And that's fine. You know, maybe I'm not the right, we're not a right fit. Cause you have to make sure you're a right fit with somebody and maybe you're just not ready. So, you know, bye-bye until you're ready. Yeah. And it's not harsh at all because I feel the same no. because you're not going to stop or you're not going to change until you're ready to change. Exactly. I mean, it's, so, it's exactly like going to any type of anonymous program. You have to be ready to mm-hmm. change, you know. So it's been amazing speaking with you. I, I have learned so much and I'm like, you're, you're my, you're my new girl crush <laughs> because you've like done everything and you've not been hindered. Well, somewhat, but kind of not. I don't know if that's good grammar or, or. No, you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. No, I, I just believe that, you know, anything can stop you if you let it. Right. You know, and it's just really about having, you know, the courage to be like, okay, well, this is a tough one. Let me see how I can work around it. Right. And, you know, you're amazing. And I so appreciate you giving me the opportunity to be on your podcast and love to stay in touch with you. I think you're fabulous. Thank you. And I feel the same. Like I said, you're my new girl, Chris. So I'm probably (laughs) your new stalker. Okay. I'm going to go to your site and kind of stalk you there too. Okay. So all the <laughs> listeners, make sure you got stalk her too. So I, I don't feel alone in this, but, but Alice, it's been amazing chatting with you and definitely I will stay in touch. Okay. Thank you so much. And God bless. And, you know, congratulations to your husband. Tell him he's in my tribe. Definitely. <laughs> oh, all right. You know, he's another stalker because anyone who's had a transplant, you're instantly his brother, his sister. So right. you're his new sister. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Me too. All right. All right. You take care. You okay. as well. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Courageous Coaching Podcast. Feel free to call in with comments and questions anytime. The number is 786-749-TLAK. That's 786-749-8255. Call us and let us know what is on your mind. Until we meet again, be courageous.